that the deen is the be-all and end-all of our lives and everything in our day-to-day affairs, every relationship, every interpersonal relation, every action, every word that we speak, anything and everything must be guided and formed and transformed by deen. Until we do that, we haven't completed our tizkiyah. This is what Allah said in Quran, that you must enter deen of Islam entirely. And because we don't let, until and unless we let the deen inform everything that we do, that's why sometimes we feel distant from Allah Ta'ala, distant from Allah Ta'ala at work, or, this is, this is very carefully, even more tragic, people increasingly have started to say that they feel distant from Allah Ta'ala at home. Now, okay, at work one could understand you don't control the work environment, especially if you're living in a Muslim minority in non-Muslim countries, it's a non-Muslim majority at the workplace. So by and large, the workplace tends to be devoid of spirituality. So okay, one might understand. You say you feel distant from Allah at work. But how has it happened that so very many Muslims living all over the world in Muslim or non-Muslim countries now experience this thing, and indeed it's their reality, that in their own homes, which they control the environment entirely, and sitting with their own family members, they don't feel close to Allah SWT. They feel distant from Allah Their conversations with family members aren't guided, informed, transformed by deen. Their habits, their lifestyles, their living styles are not habits informed by deen. And this is one critical thing that we've noticed more and more. And we often used to tell our friends when we visit them in different places, as we get closer to them, that your home should feel with them. Sometimes we walk into a person's house, and there's no way you can tell this is a house of a Muslim. You may easily have walked into a non-Muslim house. You may easily have been walking into some atheist house. Okay, then the best of people, it, it's exactly as the above. Maybe there's one wall hanging. Maybe there's one small little painting or calligraphy in the corner. But otherwise, the way our Messiah we say in Urdu, unka zehna, sehna, utna, betna means their lifestyle, their cultural norms, the way they behave, the way they talk and act is completely empty of being. They talk and act like the TV sitcom characters. They talk and act in the same local lingo. And really, we honestly feel that even up to the level of language, so let me actually start now one by one so that we get an idea of how much it is and how deeply we have to change what we might have been considering up to now on mundane or our worldly life. And people have this mistake, they think that this is not supposed to be affected by being. So I will start here with language. The way you talk should be different. Your accent, your lingo, your vocabulary, and this is a special problem in the England, especially in London, that the way the Muslims talk there is exactly where the lower class white British people talk. The same slang, the same accent, the same lingo, the same lack of character, lack of eloquence, lack of adab in their speech. Now, it has nothing to do with being elitist. It has nothing to do with educated. We're not, we're simply saying to eliminate the crude aspects of the slang and to eliminate the light aspects of the slang because you should remember that Sayyidina Rasulullah, he was eloquent. There's something in our being called Fasaha and Balaha that he spoke beautifully. He spoke eloquently. It doesn't mean he has fancy speech. It doesn't mean an artificial speech. It doesn't mean you have fancy words. Anybody who can read Hadith will see that Sayyidina Rasulullah 99% of the time spoke in very simple, plain, direct, clear to understand. 
grammar perfect in their sentence structure, exactly the same thing in Quran, then maybe you could say 5 to 10% of the words in Quran are a bit difficult, not frequently used in Arabic. One or two verses every few pages will be such that they're slightly difficult to translate. Otherwise, Allah SWT in His most perfect speech, also Allah Ta'ala, obviously Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala, the most eloquent, the most perfect, and almost entirely it is also very direct, clear to understand, very perfectly understood language. But again, all of this grammar, sentence structure is just perfect. So really the Muslims, especially in England, and now even to some extent South Africa, and to a lesser extent the U.S. and Canada, they must change the way they talk. They must go out, especially to catch words. We often tell the Muslims in London to stop saying the word thingy. And this is a particular word that they say, you, those of our listeners from other parts of the world may be surprised, and they say this word without any meaning, without any sense. They insert it in randomly in their speech, so they must change the way they talk. Yes, and this is something that we see in history, that when the Sahabi Qur'an, they traveled the world, they brought with them, yes, the ibadat, the taqwa, the hayat, the zikr, the sunnah, but they also transformed the culture of the places they went to. They also made people people of cultural literacy, of eloquence, of proper speech. So this is one thing that a person may think is small, but it should change. Why? Because Sayyidina Rasulullah said, whomsoever adopts a resemblance or a likeness to another community, he becomes as if he is one of them. And language is one of the biggest ways that you adopt the likeness of someone. So I'm not talking about accent. All accents are fine. I'm talking about choice of words and expressions. And specifically to stay away from the choice of words and expressions that are used by TV sitcom characters, that are used by high school and university youth, that are used as slang. To stay away from all of those things, irrespective of whatever culture and society you live in, and to speak properly. But the more you speak properly, believe me, the less you will lie, the less you will have hiba, the less likely your tongue will fall into sins. The less likely your tongue will utter words that are untrue, that are against the teachings of Allah and Quran and Sayyidina Sunnah. This is one small thing. Second is the way we live, the way we arrange the furniture. Some places they live in such an art, deco, all glass, super modern, postmodern house. This is not acceptable. Because everything, everything that you do, the, every outward form, every zahir is reflected and is perfected by the bottom. That's why people who do design and aesthetics and architecture, they would always want that, okay, first tell us what's your view, what's your philosophy, what's your concept, what's your belief, because all of that will play out in the design and architecture of the building and the home. But you don't want to have this home, which is totally is coming from a total materialistic culture, from a total atheistic culture. There should be more sitting on the ground if we are sitting for people who have be paid, back paid, should be so scouts would speak more from some type of Islamic, Turkish, Central Asian, Persian, Afghani, Middle Eastern, or South Asian, Korean, Mali, some type of other style.
furniture, every sitting arrangement, every, the layout of the house, the structure of the house. Sometimes we go to places. Okay, one is a separate thing, but obviously you participate. In the world, this is probably more true for the South African Muslims, that Allah Ta'ala has blessed women as well, that they actually buy and, uh, uh, land and then they have purposeful construction, they design the construction. I'm sometimes amazed when we go to some of these houses how poorly they are designed for purposes of birthday in terms of how you could arrange for entrances and seating areas and interaction and flows between them well required, when required, and ways to block off flows and interaction between the men's and women's areas when required. We are amazed sometimes in some homes where clearly this has not been a factor at all in designing the hallway and the corridor and the rooms and how they open. So this is a problem. This shows that the house was designed in the khasla, that nobody was thinking of deen, of Allah, of hayah, of zikr, of sunnah. They were just thinking of dunya and whatever the architect says from a dunyavi perspective. So this is wrong. This is, again, you see all of these things that are examples of removing deen from that part of our life. So we did language, interior design, and architecture, floor planning, space planning. All right, now coming to the more important things is the two major things I wanted to talk about today, actually, is family and work. So let me begin with work, work and family. Even the type of jobs that we do, or even the way that we carry ourselves out in those jobs, should be informed by the. And one example I was given very recently in the trip to England is this absolutely perfectly acceptable, absolutely perfectly acceptable and understandable that when many Muslims from many countries from different parts of the world were immigrants and entered into England, that they took up simply for the sake of their financial survival very basic jobs such as taxi driver, postman, rail switch operator, etc., However, it is absolutely unacceptable that their children, absolutely and perfectly unacceptable according to the values and ethics of being, according to law, it's fine. According to Sharia, it would be fine. But it's unacceptable. It's falling short of the mark that Allah Ta'ala set for us. If their children, if Muslims who were born and bred and raised in the UK, also become only taxi drivers and postal workers and rail switch operators, this is unacceptable. Why? Because he knows who the Lord is, Allah said an authentic hadith. That Allah, that about Allah Ta'ala what? That Allah Ta'ala has mandated excellence in everything that we do. So it means that the Muslims in terms of their education and in terms of their employment means their engagement in society and economy, they must excel, they must strive. It has nothing to do with money. And there's unfortunately a handful of ultra-Orthodox, conservative, still Indian mentality scholars in England who try to suggest to even the men that there's no need for education, there's no need to excel. It's perfectly fine that you're a taxi driver and your son is a taxi driver and your grandson is a taxi driver and you live in council housing and you take government benefits. This is wrong. This is against power. This is... This is what is causing this part. This is not the only reason. And this is no justification for any racism or prejudice. But in part, we must accept the fact that in part, the poor performance of the Muslims in education and in the economy in the West is what, in particular in 
England, I say it's not the case in the U.S. and Canada, but in England, it's one of the reasons why you bring out negative attitudes towards Muslims. It's a big problem. It's a big problem, and it's a shame. Who, you know, you don't present Islam in an attractive way. You have to do dawah, you have to show people that, no, this deen has made me a better person. This deen has made me a hard-working person. This deen has made me a disciplined person. My love for Allah has uplifted me and made me a person of nobility and excellence and virtue. Not that I'm a person, I'm a Muslim, but I'm completely lazy. I'm living off the benefits. I drop, I'm a dropout from school. Right? We find so many schools dropouts in the UK Muslim community. So many. So very many. And nobody is bothered. Nobody cares. This is against Dean. This is very important for them to realize. They're a disservice to Dean. They're a shame on Dean. They're a disgrace to Dean. And this is a very, very big problem in large, large sections of the UK Muslim community. And the parents have to be trained. The ulama and mashayikh must train the parents and the children. I must train the parents to train the children. And again, I'm telling you, this cap is up to the person, because what do you think those boys who are high school dropouts, you don't think they're doing sin? When other boys are busy studying, whatever it might be, math, or literature, or history, or physics, and then they're busy going to university, right? What do you think the high school dropout is doing? 99% of them are engaging in all types of sin and accomplishment, right? Now, we're not talking about that exceptional class that goes to the room. Those are more wonderful than the university people. But I don't call them dropouts. Those are people who are pursuing an even higher level of education. You can't look at them. I'm talking about the 99% who drop out and who don't go to Darzum, who just end up wasting their lives away. And then you, when you see in the next generation, when their children, it gets even worse. Then the amount of divorce, the amount of premarital zina, the amount of drugs, the amount of gangs, the amount of guns that we see when it, when it comes to the next generation, this should be a wake-up call. This should be a wake-up call that until the Muslim community fixes their dunya, they're going to collapse indeed. They're going to have a downfall in their day. And it's happening and it's begun to happen. But nobody seems to understand this. Nobody seems to understand this. And it's very important and, and we find... You know, you don't find the exact, I will come to the South Africa model is slightly different, but here the point is that education and work, the Muslims have to perform to the best of their ability, as Allah does saying, but the process of seven, hadith, that you must be the best student you can be, you must be the best worker that you can be, you must be, you must be the best member of society that you can be, you must be the best member of the economy that you can be. Otherwise, you haven't fulfilled Allah Ta'ala's right and you've got to the law. This is Allah Ta'ala's right over you. That the deen of Islam has transformed you into a better person in every single aspect of your life, including your social, education, employment, economic, work life. Then, the next major thing we want to talk about, which is a longer discussion, is a person's family life. Yes, a person's family life. This also should be, the Muslims should be showing the best models. They should be the best husbands and the best wives in the society. They should be the best sons and the best daughters in the society. This is not happening. So we have an increasingly, alarmingly high divorce rate now in Muslims in the UK. And then behind that divorce statistic is all types of unreported separations, all types of covered and concealed divorces, all types of extramarital affairs, all again, because he didn't realize that this 
about this is happening generally, but it's even happening amongst practicing Muslims. Like we began in the talk that those Muslims who do pray, and those Muslims who do fast, and those Muslims who do support their massages, they are also have left the family teachings of Islam. They have left excellence in that. They have left virtue and nobility in that. In fact, they stopped even striving for it. They don't try. It's not like they're trying to be the best husband, and they're not. They're not bothered to try. They're not interested. They're not wanting to be guided by Allah Ta'ala in these matters. They're not willing to look to the Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah as a Maldives man. It's a sin, this neglect of Allah Ta'ala, being negligent of Allah Ta'ala, being negligent of the Sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah and taking these things lightly or neglecting them altogether. So all this taking lightly, neglect, and negligence, all of this is a sin. All of this will harm a person's relationship with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and just bringing people down. And I talk a lot about merit. Those of our listeners, or in that site on IslamicSpirituality.org, we have done a whole long series of talks in, towards toward marital bliss. So you can find it. And this is something we observed in our shame. Why this is part of Baskia? And when? Which is an extremely intense, spiritually intensive, nine to ten days, our Sheikh always gives one talk a day, which is a morning talk, on these type of things, on how people can fix their dunya. How can they be better husband and wife? Many series on that. How can they be better parents to the children? Many series on that. Most recently, how can they manage their time better? How can they eat better, sleep better, etc.? Yes, because the Deen has given us hidayah on these things. Whatever hidayah the Deen has given us, we must submit to it. Also, you can translate that way. And that you must submit entirely. You must submit every single aspect, every corner, every part of your life. Right? And by the way, we have a large, before I return to the family, I forgot when I was mentioning work, that we also have a large population of people who are students amongst Muslims in the field of education as well. And this is another very big, and I have to mention this as well, that parents must explain to the children, and the parents must view it as an Islamic responsibility, that the children must study as hard as they can, that the children must get as good results as they can, the children must achieve and attain and perform as much as they can. That's part of their deen. That's part of what the deen of Islam teaches them. So here, getting back to family, so we were mentioning that one major issue is marriage, but we have spoken about that topic at length elsewhere. So we want to talk a little bit today about parent-child. And today, actually, I want to specifically address my other others, because they are, you know, mashallah, I would say that Muslim women are, generally speaking, I'm talking about generally, that Muslim women are better mothers than uh, the Muslim men are fathers. And so, most critically then, what we have to do is to somehow find a way to motivate and inspire the Muslim men, myself, and others to become better fathers. And this is very important, and this I find, and now... You know, whether it's South Africa or England or wherever, even in the Muslim world, that the Muslim men are obviously indeed genuinely 
busy in earning for their families, working for their families, and because of that, they're out there engaged in society. But we find a lot of the Muslim men are neglecting their children, and they're not able to spend enough time with their children. They're not able to sit with their children. And at most, if they sit with their children, they do for some play, enjoy, and fun and recreation, which they definitely should, but they never talk to their children about Allah Sallallahu and as the children grow up, and then when the children cross 10, then it's interestingly interesting that so many parents and now increasing fathers they come to me, and they don't know how to talk to the children about me. And the reason is that because, well, for the first 10 years of your their life, you never shared them any story about Sira. You never shared with them yourself. You weren't their one, the one who shared with them the stories of Sahaba. You didn't share with them the stories of the Anbiya, the Islam, and Islam, you didn't share to them some story about some wonderful passage in Quran. You didn't relate to them some wonderful hadith in the Prophet So then when this goes on for 10 years, and yes, you will find a block. You will find it difficult to talk to your children about deen, even so much that they find it difficult to talk to their children about Allah Taala. For example, what we normally tell parents at that when the children cross 10 is that, look, what you have to do is you can't tell your children about the do's. You can't only... You can't only tell your children about the do's and don'ts of Islam, that you're all telling them, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Rather, what we tell people is that you must invite your children. And not just invite, you must motivate, you must guide, you must inspire your children to those feelings, to somehow get those feelings in their own heart, that when they have the feelings, new feeling of love for Allah Ta'ala, feeling of longing for Allah Ta'ala, feeling of fear of Allah Ta'ala, feeling of shukr for Allah Ta'ala, you must invite and inspire them to get those feelings, and when the children have those feelings in their heart, then they will on their own, on their own volition, on their own effort, on their own will, wish, and desire, they will do the do's and they will not do the do nots. You have to invite them to feelings. And when we say this, then especially the fathers, they sort of look at us in panic. They look at us in shock. What do you mean? You? And I said, just talk to your son about Allah Taala. Just talk to your daughter about Allah Taala. And then the father looks down and he can't do it. Because for 10 years he never ever talked to the children about Allah Taala. For 10 years? For however many years? Allah Taala. This is, this is a problem. This is a problem. So it's very important that the fathers have to sit with the children. And the fathers always have to be an example of deen, but they must also teach deen. They must sit and talk about deen. Children must feel that my father is connected to Allah. Children must feel that my father is a lover of Allah. Children must feel that my father obeys Allah. Children must feel that anything good that ever happens to us, my father always attributes it to Allah. My father always is humble and shukr. My father is always praising and thanking Allah. It should be, it means that the father has to be zakir and he must be zakir run around the children and the children to take care of Allah. And we have this strange situation, especially in South Africa, that when you have parents who may not yet be in behalf and they're making the children do tafis, making the children memorize Quran, and the parents seem embarrassed and they don't know, and they think it's enough to ship the children off to Maktab or Madrasa or his class, and that's it, that's the children's deed. And they slap on a cap and they slap on a long shirt on the kid, but inside that heart is total dunya. Because when they put the cell phone in his pocket and the iPad in his pocket and the computer and laptop in his room, the, 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 the dress is not being worn out of love for the sunnah. 
The dress has just been worn. That's okay. This is what Indian Gujarati is doing in South Africa. Otherwise, inside in their heart and breast, they're as, you know, they're distant from Allah Sultan. So it's very important that the family relationships also must be improved. So we talked a lot about things. We talked about language, our living and lifestyle, our decorating and architecture. We talked about work and employment. We talked about education, right? We talked about family matters. We talked about marriage. We talked about the parent-children relation. All of these things have to be transformed and based on the team. This is all technically, apparently at first glance, this is dunya. But it's when all of the matters of our dunya become deeply inspired by teachings of deen, that we will become truly safe in deen. Because now deen is truly a part of our life. It's a part of our home. Then really will become a part of our heart. And if we don't let the deen be a part of our life and our home or our job or our education or the way we live or the way we talk, then deen has not fully entered our heart. And because of that, then we're in danger of sinning. So this is an important aspect of Tazkiyah. May Allah SWT accept and inspire each and every one of us to adopt deen, practice deen, to order and arrange everything in our life, everything in our mind, and everything in our home, and everything in our family around the teachings of deen.